1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, God sends a prophet to Eli to ask why he has refused to correct his sons and to tell him what will now happen because of it. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel 2, verse 29. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29.
2: 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel deals with lessons that we can learn from the heart. And we saw the contrast between Eli's sons, who refused to listen to correction, and Samuel, who happily allowed the Lord to shape his life. Samuel had a heart that was willing to listen. Eli's sons didn't. Frequently, when people come to me as a pastor or a leader here in the church, and they're looking for assistance, one of the first questions I ask them, if this is not their home church, is I say, well, hey, how's your home church helping you out? I don't have a home church. Okay, well, most people have some family. I said, what about your family? And Again, I've done homeless ministry personally. I've done homeless ministry for over 25 years. I mean, it's just something I've always been a part of. I served down at the Orlando Rescue Mission once a month. And so I've got to interact with tons of people who've been in these situations. And you usually find, not always, but usually find a common denominator. They've burned a lot of bridges. They don't have a home church. And so one of the things I try to explain to them is I say, there's some choices that have been made that have put you in a position that makes it very difficult to move to a better position than the one you're in. So how do we fix that? Are there ways that you can repair the bridges you've burned? And you don't have to attend here, but you do need to find a home church because you need a support system. We all go through hard times. Now, that's not always received very well, but it needs to be set because at some point, I'm glad to help out in any way we can, but at some point we want to bring you to a place where you can help others. That's the goal. The goal is, is that we get through our crisis. I get through my crisis and people come alongside me and help me out. And then when I'm on my feet, I look around for people who are in crisis and help them out. That's the goal. And so I love my kids, but there may come a time, and I hope it never does with my kids. I don't anticipate it based on my relationship with them and their behavior. But there may come a time when I have to say, you're asking me to love you more than I love Jesus, and I won't do that. I won't do that. But Eli, he would not love the Lord more than them. And so instead, Eli will end up losing what he sought to preserve and so much more. Look at verse 30, wherefore, which means because you've done this, because you've loved them more than me, because you've honored them more than you've honored me, and because they have done wickedly in how they treat my service, This is my verdict. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. I did make a promise to your forefather. I said that they would receive the blessing of the priesthood. I said it and I meant it. But now the Lord says, be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. In Exodus 29 verse 9, the Lord spoke to Aaron through Moses and said that he would give him this ministry forever. This would be their ministry, the priesthood. And then God confirmed this promise with an oath to Aaron's grandson, Phinehas, in Numbers 25, verses 12 and 13. This will always be your heritage, your inheritance in the nation of Israel. But the Lord says to Eli, he goes, I did make that promise and I'm not gonna take it back. I meant it. But you have made an incorrect assumption Regarding this promise, Eli, you have made an incorrect assumption and I will have no part in how you think it works. This promise works. I will have no part in that. Be it far from me. He says, I'm not breaking my promise to Aaron and Phineas and all their descendants, Eli. But I will not allow wicked men to remain in this position just because of their blood type. And so he says to them, for them that honor me, I will honor And those who despise me, the word there means to regard as having little value. They don't think a relationship with me is important at all. Well, them, they shall be lightly esteemed. The phrase means to become smaller, to become of little account. Now, Eli should have known this because right from the get-go, he already had an example from scripture of priests who had been dealt with by the Lord. God judged two of Aaron's sons for not giving their calling the respect it deserved, remember? Remember? All the way back in Leviticus chapter 10, and God struck them dead, right? So God said, yeah, I make a promise to you, but it doesn't mean I won't remove you if you're going to do wickedly, and I'll remove you any way I have to. So you have made an incorrect assumption regarding my promise, Eli, and I'm going to have no part of how you think it works. So now, Eli, you and your sons will also be judged. God pronounces three judgments on Eli and his bloodline. Verse 31 is the first. Behold, the days come that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house, that there shall not be an old man in your house. This is where George Lucas got all of his ideas for Star Wars. No, he doesn't mean his literal arm. The word there refers to one's strength. I'm going to cut off your strength. And he explains later on what that means. There shall not be an old man in your house. Eli would be the last aged man in his family line. Now, that's a heavy judgment because it covers not just Eli and his sons, but it covers all of his living descendants. Everybody in the family who's alive right now, none of them will die old. You're the only one who'll die old, Eli. Now, that tells us, because God is always fair, that this was a wider reaching problem than just Eli and his two sons. This shows us that Their evil influence had spread to everyone else in the family, but it spread to everyone. And so God judges the entire family. He will be the last old man of his living descendants. Secondly, verse thirty-two, he says, "And you shall see an enemy in my habitation, and all the wealth which God shall give to Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house." He adds now the phrase forever. The beginning. Let's start with that part. You shall see an enemy in my habitation. The word "see" means you're going to. Look out, almost like something going on that you're disconnected from. You're going to look out and observe and see happen. So you're going to watch over time an enemy in my house. Now, I don't know why they translated it an enemy. The word means a state of distress or narrowness in my house, a state of distress in my house. And so in all the wealth of which God shall give Israel. So in all the land that God gave Israel, all the blessings that God put upon Israel, all of a sudden that's going to begin to be narrowed. And in particularly in relation to the tabernacle, God's dwelling place. So instead of the blessings that come from seeing God's people grow spiritually, Eli will watch the state of worship, watch the state of spirituality in Israel become worse and worse and worse. So much so that it will touch even God's very house, the tabernacle. Now, I believe that this is also a prediction of the Philistines' capture of the Ark of the Covenant and how they destroy Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was located. We will see that very shortly in 1 Samuel. So I do believe that is a prediction of that. But now we come to this comment at the end of the verse where it says there won't be anyone who lives to an old age of your descendants forever, ever, ever, ever. I mean, that's an ominous word. That's not a like word. Forever. This judgment of young deaths will affect even those who haven't been born yet. Now, the first part we can get, but here we go and we go, wait a second, Lord, that doesn't seem fair to judge those who haven't even done anything wrong yet. How can God be fair and do this? Well, God is fair and God is also merciful. Merciful. And I am fully convinced that if one of Eli's descendants decided to walk faithfully with the Lord, that they would not experience this judgment. The reason I can say that is because scripture tells us that exact thing. In Ezekiel chapter 18, I want to read just verses 20 through 23 right now. This whole chapter, God's dealing with the accusations that Ezekiel keeps hearing when he talks to people about the Lord. And they just give him, God's not fair. God's not fair. And so the Lord addresses this all throughout the chapter. But I just want to... Look at one section where he kind of sums up a thought, and it's this: Ezekiel 18:20 20 through23. God says through Ezekiel to the people, "The soul that sins, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all of his sins that he has committed." and keep my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, well, then he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he has committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he has done, shall he live. For have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord? The answer, of course, is no. And not that he should return from his ways and live? That, the answer to that one's yes. That's what pleases me. I'm not sitting up in heaven and going, oh, I get to grind out another one. The Lord... He delights not in judging the wicked or punishing the wicked. He has no pleasure that the wicked dies. He has pleasure when a wicked person turns from his wicked ways and finds life. So I have every confidence that if one of Eli's descendants were to repent of this family behavior that was going on and decide to walk with the Lord, that they wouldn't experience this judgment. But the Lord knowing what the response would be, says this is how it's going to be. Now, despite this judgment, Eli's descendants will still serve as priests. But verse 33, here's the third judgment. And the man of yours, whom I shall not cut off from my altar, they shall be to consume your eyes and to grieve your heart. And all the increase of your house shall die in the flower of their age. In other words, all of Eli's descendants will serve during a time in Israel of spiritual deterioration. None of them will know the joy of serving in the tabernacle. Yeah, they'll still be priests, but the tabernacle won't be in use because the Ark of the Covenant won't be there. It won't be able to be used. So all of the things that they took advantage of and and thought was their right and scorned it and despised it and thought God was holding out on them and they deserved more, yeah, you won't get any of it now. You won't experience any of those things now. None of your descendants will. And you know what? The Ark of the Covenant wasn't returned to the tabernacle until the midpoint of David's reign. And after David died, Eli's descendant was removed from the priesthood. And their place was taken by a different line through Aaron, not from Eli's line. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 2 with me. And I'm not doing this just to repeat what I just said, but there's an end part here that I think is crucial to understand. 1 Kings two, verses twenty six and twenty seven. Now, Abiathar was Eli's descendant. He was kind of co high priest with Zadok, who was another descendant of Aaron, but not from the line of Eli. And the problem is, is when Abiathar sided with Adonijah when he, David was dying, and, and David named Solomon to be his successor. Adonijah proclaimed himself king, and Abiathar sided with Adonijah, which was basically treason against David. And so, here's what happens when Solomon becomes king. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. And unto Abiathar the priest said to the, to the king, Get thee to Ariathoth, unto your own fields. Oh, we see things hadn't changed, right? Levites aren't supposed to have fields. For you are worthy of death, but I will not at this time put you to death because you bear the ark of the Lord before David my father. When the ark came back, you were loyal to David my father, and because you have been afflicted in all wherewith my father was afflicted. Abiathar was the sole survivor when Saul slaughtered all the priests in Nob. So Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest unto the Lord, and here it is that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Isn't that interesting? This is years later, but God predicted your descendants won't get to serve in the joys of a tabernacle or the temple that would soon be built by Solomon. Nope. Their eyes will consume and they'll grieve. And this will be a time of sadness when they'll be serving as priests. And that's what it was for Eli and his descendants. Now, Many of these things will stretch far longer than Eli would live. So how would Eli know this message from God was true? Well, verse 34, something's going to hit much closer to home in his lifetime. And this shall be a sign unto you, a miracle. God's miracles aren't just always in blessing. They are in judgment as well. And this shall be a sign unto you that shall come upon your two sons, and Hophni and Phinehas, in one day they shall die, both of them. Wow. Eli sought to spare his sons from pain, but in doing so, he caused himself even more pain. Everything he sought to preserve, he lost, and more. Now, in contrast to this awful conclusion for Eli's sons, God would raise up a faithful priest to replace Eli's line. Verse 35, And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left in your house, any remaining descendants, they will come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread, and shall say, put me, I pray you, into one of the priest's offices, that I may eat a piece of bread. Now, the word here for faithful priest here, it means one who would honor God first, one who is trustworthy and loyal. Eli, you have not honored me first. You've not made me the priority. You made your sons the priority. But I will raise up to me a priest who will make me the priority, who will honor me first, that will do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. That's a pretty cool thing. What is in God's heart? What is in God's mind? And how do we find that out? Look at Isaiah 55 with me. There's a cool section of scripture here. Isaiah 55, verse 6, beginning there, it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call you upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. And the Lord will have mercy upon him, to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. That's why they need to get rid of their thoughts, because his thoughts are not our thoughts. God's thoughts are not my thoughts. The way I naturally would look at dealing with a situation, not the way God thinks about it. The path I would normally take in a situation, my natural normal path, not the path that's been trained by the word of God, but the path that I, William Ramirez, just in my way of doing things, the way I would normally take, nothing at all like the way God would do it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For us, the heavens are higher than the earth; so are our ways higher than your ways. My thoughts and your thoughts—you're not even close, will. Verse ten: For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and it doesn't return back, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my what? My word be that which goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So, if I want to know God's mind and God's heart, where do I go? I go to His Word, right? What is God's heart towards something? What is God's mind towards something? What does He think about something? How would He do it? I go to the scripture. Like the concept of being like Jesus or doing what Jesus did isn't me sitting around going, I wonder what Jesus would do. I'm not trying to be mean. But this idea of like the what would Jesus do thing was really big a while ago. But I think it misses the boat a little bit. I think the heart's great behind it, but I think it misses the boat a little bit because I don't need to kind of sit there and just go, hmm, what would Jesus do? I need to just go to the Word and go, what did Jesus do? What did he say? What has he taught me about how to think about it? What his heart is, how he feels about things, what he thinks about things, what he would do about things, what he did do about things. I can see all those things in his word and I can be like this faithful priest who would do according to that which is in God's heart and in God's mind. And because of this priest's faithfulness, he says, I will build him a sure house. It means a lasting and enduring house. And he will walk before my anointed, my king forever. Now, when we try to figure out, who is this faithful priest? I mean, Samuel certainly was loyal to God, right? I mean, he put God first, right? Zadok, the one who replaced Abiathar in 1 Kings chapter 2, he stuck by David during the difficult times, and he rejoiced to see the restoration of Israel's walk with the Lord, so he served with the king. But neither Samuel nor Zadok fulfilled this entire prophecy because they did not have lasting and enduring houses. Samuel's sons did not follow in Samuel's footsteps, and they didn't become priests after him. And Zadok's line, if it can be traced still, hasn't served in the role of a priest for millennia. Now, God's anointed in this context of 1 Samuel was David, who is the one who will rule over Israel in the Messianic kingdom. And who will be the high priest at that time? Jesus. He's our great high priest, right? He is our great high priest. So this is a messianic prophecy of how the Messiah will also be a high priest and his house will endure forever, ever. And under the Messiah, Eli's descendants will finally realize the privileges that they had as priests. For verse 36 says, it will come to pass that everyone that is left in your house, any leftover descendants of Eli, when Jesus is ruling and reigning, when Jesus is our great high priest on the earth, it says that every one of them, they will come and crouch before him. The word, phrase means to bow down in respect, to honor, to worship him. These will be true believers that go into the millennium. They will come and worship before him, and they will do it because they'll be longing for, I'll take even the smallest salary, just a piece of silver. I don't need all the offerings that God promised, just a morsel of bread. And they'll say, I just want to serve again. I just want to be back in God's presence again. I just want to be reinstated. That's all they care about. Just to eat a piece of bread. I don't need everything else. Eli's surviving descendants in the Messianic kingdom will see the privilege and blessing that Eli and his sons had. They'll ask to be reinstated. And it's not so they can gorge themselves upon the benefits of being a priest. They won't ask for more than a piece of bread. They'll just be so blessed to serve the Lord once more. And guys, that's the heart of service God wants us to have. I'm nobody special. I mean, I'm special because I belong to Jesus. But I don't have it all figured out. But let me share a little story with you. When I came down here, and I applied for the position here, and I was interviewed, and when I knew it was getting close to a conclusion that they might pick me. I asked a lot of questions, but there was one question I did not ask. What's the salary? I didn't know what I was getting paid until I took the job. I didn't know what it might be. It might have been nothing. I might have still been working at Evans High School. I was okay with that, though. None of that mattered to me because I believe God had called me to do this. Now, i was happy when I found out I had a salary. But to this day, if all of that was taken away, I would still be here until the Lord took me home and the Lord called me somewhere else. Because I'm here, not for a paycheck. I'm not here because y'all love me so much. I would say I'm so blessed to be your pastor I am encouraged all the time. I have a great congregation. You guys are awesome. You put up with me. That makes you like A grade to begin with. But I mean, I am so blessed. Like I hear some of the horror stories other pastors go through and I'm just like, I haven't go through any of that. I'm just so blessed. Both churches I pastored have just been so supported and so encouraged and so blessed. And I I just love it. But if none of that was there, I'd still forge ahead. Because God has called me to this. I am blessed to serve him. I'm privileged that he would put me here. He doesn't owe me anything. Like David, I'd I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than anywhere else. Jesus just let me clean chairs and that's more than I deserve. And so, I have so much more to learn and so many more things to grow in. But I do believe... I understand God's call and the privilege it is. I want to have a heart of service. I don't want to be like Eli and his sons. I want to be like this faithful priest, Samuel and Zadok, and of course, the Lord. Oh, Lord, what a privilege it is to be part of this fellowship, Lord. What a privilege it is to be part of your family, period. Period. But Lord, I'm so grateful to be part of this special fellowship here with so many people who have servants' hearts. Just love. They love to serve your kids. They love to serve your people. They love to reach out to the people around us in the area here. So grateful, Lord, that I get to serve with so many awesome servants. And so, Lord, our desire tonight is to grow even more in our heart attitude, a servant's heart, Lord, to be like Samuel, to be like you, For the Son of Man, you said, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Lord, we choose that life anew and afresh and we do so with joy because of all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online